the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 261 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. Today, I am going to rip through and discuss this upcoming weekend's NCAA tournament games in order of how worthy I think they'll be uh, uh, of watching if you want a solid shot at seeing a decent lacrosse game. There's going to be a lot of decent lacrosse games in here, and some of them it's even going to be able to call, you know, it'll be hard to call them upsets where maybe one of the seeded teams loses to one of the unseeded teams. But we'll get into all of that. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. You can go to laxfactor.com. Uh, to support us, see all the videos that we put up and everything like that. You can also get swag, podcast-related apparel, and just random-ass t-shirts like this Garden Gnomes t-shirt here. Um, so that's it. Let's jump right into it because I don't really want to waste any time here, and I want to talk about the first game that we're going to get into here. It's going to be Penn State uh, hosting Princeton. Uh, Penn State got the five seed. Now, Princeton came into the season ranked far higher than their play warranted until now. I think they're playing much better lacrosse now, and they had some injuries earlier in the season that maybe played into that a little bit. They were trying to figure out who, they, who they're who they going to play at goalie, and uh, with the addition of Gian Forcaro as the goalie, as the starting goalie for Princeton, this team has really kind of taken shape. They're playing better defensive lacrosse. Offensively, Coulter Mackesy has helped them incredibly. So moral of the story, they lose to Syracuse uh, and drop to four and five on the season, and since then they've won four of their last five games, including wins over Penn and Yale in the Ivy League tournament. Now, Penn State, they played the role of the Ivy Killers earlier in the season over a stretch that saw them string together three consecutive wins over Yale, Penn, and Cornell. Now, Penn State's a, a much bigger surprise. Princeton came in, I mean, they were ranked, I think, at one point in the top five, top seven for a you know the beginning part of that season, despite the fact they weren't even beating teams that they should have massacred by all that much. Now, Penn State's the opposite. They came out. I didn't have high expectations for this team until they started killing the knocking the Ivy League teams off one at a time here. Uh, they followed that up, that stretch up with an odd loss to Marquette. Then they lost to Maryland, which is understandable. But they finished out the season with four conference wins with that kick in the pants, the loss to Michigan in the Big Ten semifinals. But they're playing excellent lacrosse as well. So I think this is probably, for me, the game that I think has the chance of being the best. This is one of those games where it's like, all right, if Princeton beats Penn State, you could call it an upset. But is it really an upset at this point? These are two top-notch teams. And don't let the 8-6 and six record out of Princeton fool you. They've just played a very difficult schedule overall. If we look at the losses that Princeton Princeton has, you know, Maryland, Georgetown, Rutgers, and Penn, and then Syracuse. So granted that Rutgers loss and the Syracuse loss, maybe even the Penn loss, you could say, ah, those aren't great, but they're not terrible. They didn't lose to chumps by any means. Now, we got two of the best goalies in the country playing in this game. Uh, Princeton's Michael Gianforcaro has been incredible. He stopped 59% of the shots he's faced since becoming the starter. And uh, Jack Farassian isn't far behind him, 57%. I believe if I went back and looked, then I'd have to look. Uh, I gave both of them a nod uh, for All-American. Uh, I, I, I actually think I have Gianforcaro as my second team All-American, oddly enough, because I think he's been that important to this team. And I think he's overachieved considering what he has in front of him compared to some of these other goalies. I'll talk about that at some point here during the, the season, but uh, not today. Not today. Uh, Gian Forcaro has been at 50% or better 
in each of his last five games, and he's been above 65% in four of those five games. This kid is playing really good lacrosse between the pipes for Princeton. Frassian has been at 50% or above in his last six outings with three of those games seeing him above 60%. So both goalies are playing good, are playing good lacrosse at the right time here. Uh, I got a little itch on my mustache here. Princeton has the edge offensively. You're going to hear me talk a lot today uh, because this, these statistics are more important today than they have been. So I'm kind of using uh, Lacrosse Reference Pro to throw out the adjusted offensive efficiencies and the defensive efficiencies. And if I'm correct here, what it means by adjusted offensive efficiency or adjusted defensive efficiency is it only counts the settled possessions that these team gets, and it doesn't include failed clears and things of that sort in that mix. It may not even count man up, man down. Uh, anyway, Princeton has the edge offensively. They're ranked number 12 in lacrosse reference pros uh, adjusted offensive efficiency. They've scored on 35.8% of their possessions, whereas Penn State is sitting at number 26, scoring on 31.2. Not a huge difference, but when you're talking about scoring 35 out of 100 times versus 31 out of 100 times, it's considerable enough to make a big difference here. Both teams are near the, the top in the nation defensively also. Penn State's number three in terms of def defensive efficiency and Princeton comes in at number seven uh, at 24.5. So Penn State's given up goals 21.9% of their possessions. Princeton's given up goals 24.5. The edge that either team has, it kind of weighs out here when you consider their offensive and defensive efficiencies. Both are mediocre at the faceoff dot, so no huge edge there either way. And in the end, if we rip through and we look at kind of stats here, we see TJ Malone dead even at the top here. Jack Trainer, they've been kind of leading Penn State with brother Matt Trainer not doing too bad as well. The Trainer brothers here at, at, at second and third, respectively, for Penn State in terms of scoring. The Binghamton transfer, Kevin Winkoff, has been excellent as well. For Princeton, we've got Coulter Mackesy, Alexander Vardaro, Christian Ronda, Jake Stevens kind of at the top there. Sam English uh, ruptured his spleen, I think is what I heard happened to him. Uh, uh, and all of these guys here that we're, we're talking about for Princeton are transferring next season due to the Ivy League rules and you know having that extra COVID year left. Uh, and actually, they've had two years that they missed out on. Uh, in terms of goalies, as we said, both goalies have been excellent. Fra Frassian's great. Gian Fercaro's great. So I call that one a wash. I don't think an edge goes to either one there. I think they're both going to probably have pretty big days. And then, I sa as I said, faceoff dot, both middling teams here. Andrew McKeek, uh, uh, McMeekin. Yeah, 44%. I mean, not, no one's done anything on either of these teams, so I don't think that's going to play all that heavily, although if one, if it goes lopsided, it may. But my prediction in this one, I think both teams are incredible. I actually think in this one we're going to see Princeton win by a goal or two, but this is a coin flip, man. This is just me going with my gut, and as you all know, my gut is often uh, extremely wrong and really bad at, at making predictions. Let's dive into the next game. It's going to be Army against Maryland, uh, Maryland with the four seed here. Army, despite that 12-3 and three record, Army doesn't even get into this NCAA tournament if they didn't win their conference tournament. So that gives you an idea of how battle-tested Maryland is compared to Army. The strength of schedules are not even close as I'm looking at. Uh, I don't have the – oh, yeah, I do have the strength of schedule up here. Let's look at what Army's 
strength of schedule is. Army's strength of schedule was 34 compared to Maryland's strength of schedule, which was two. So that plays heavily into into Army's record and into the fact that Army wouldn't even have gotten a, 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 a at-large bid had they not won their conference tournament here. Uh, so a lot of people are talking about this game has potential to be very close and could be a potential upset situation. But once again, I'm looking at it like, all right, well, Maryland is the team that is definitely more prepared at this point. Now that sun shines on a dog's ass on any given day, so Army could absolutely come in here and just play really well. We'll talk about another team who I think is in a similar boat as Army and Bryant, where it's like, all right, we just haven't seen what these teams could do against the best that the country has to offer at this point, whereas Maryland has had to do it game in and game out uh, pretty much. So that's that. Army riding a little bit more momentum because they did win their conference tournament. Maryland lost to Michigan in the in the Big Ten final, so that may play too. Um, while Maryland is a very good defensive team, they are missing Ajax Zapatello on top of the fact that Army's actually performed a little bit better in terms of the de- defensive statistics than Maryland has all season. Army has the fifth-ranked defense in the nation, stopping opponents on 75.6% of possessions, whereas Maryland is ranked 12th, getting stops on 74.5% of their possessions. So very close. Uh, and I, I, I still say I think Maryland has the better defense overall, uh, it's at least as long as Ajax Zapatello is playing, whereas Army, AJ Pilati, the, their defense has been good. But once again, they have not played the competition that Maryland has played. So I call that kind of a wash. I think what we have here is two teams that are both very good at playing defense uh, are going to go to head, head to head here. And Knox Dent factors in that as well for the Army defense. He's he's probably the better goalie of the two between him and Rupel, but we'll we'll dive into that a little bit as well. Army has a teeny tiny edge on offensive efficiency coming in at number 31 to Maryland's number 33. They're right. I mean, we're talking 30.5% to 30.4%. So Maryland's only a tenth of a percent behind Army. Now, both teams are capable of putting up enough points to win a game. I think as the seasons wore on, we've seen Maryland's offense get better. And once again, they're doing that against top-notch defenses, whereas Army not so much. Uh, but listen, I mean, Army did make it through their their conference tournament which they didn't play slouches through that stretch i mean if we go in here i'm bashing army schedule but you know they do have a win over rutgers that that blemish against umass there they do have a win over rutgers you know a win over lehigh loyola decent teams that one goal lost to cornell proves hey they can play despite the fact they haven't been tested a lot they lost to boston u a very good lacrosse team they had to beat lehigh and loyola to win their conference tournament, you know, nothing crazy, but Loyola turned it on and was playing well by the end of the season. So I say they're not battle tested, but they have played some quality, quality opponents. And there is enough data to suggest they're going to be able to hang with Maryland here. Um, but once again, in terms of their offensive and defensive efficiency, they haven't played the toughest schedule. Um, and like I said, so far, you'd think I was leaning into Army just by those two facts, but I just kind of undid that. Uh, to, to dive deeper into why I'm kind of thrashing Army from a strength of schedule perspective, Army hasn't played a top five RPI team at all. They're 0-1 against teams ranked between 6 and 10 in RPI, and they're 1-1 against teams ranked between 11 and 20 in RPI. Now, on the flip side, if you look at Maryland, they're 2-2 two two against top 5 RPI teams, 1-0 against teams ranked 6 through 10, and 3-2 and against teams ranked 11 through 20. So you can see here, Maryland just has a much better resume. They've been playing killers game in and game out. 
Army, not so much. Now, at the face-off dot, an area that Maryland normally dominates, Will Coletti of Army has a chance to prove himself against Luke Weirman as maybe, hey, listen, my, save, my, my face-off win percentage is better than yours. Uh, Coletti comes in at 62%, Weirman at 61%. Coletti's also put up 10 points, six goals, four helpers to Weirman's three points, a goal and two helpers. But again, important to note, Weirman's face slightly better competition. I think Coletti is feeling pretty good heading into this one, though. I think Army probably likes their unit as well. Uh, and I think that, that that fiercer competition probably comes more in the form of wing play because, I mean, Army, they're playing against Lehigh, so he's going up against Sisselberger twice this year. Coletti has been. Uh, so the, the, let's see here, and I actually want to see. Whoops, wrong wrong note here. I'm going to check, tell you how Coletti has done against uh, guys like Sisselberger and crap like that. So let's see. They, they played Lehigh that first time. Okay, 41% against Sisselberger the first time out. Second time out, 56% against Sisselberger. Uh, who else? Did see? Uh, you know, not a whole lot here. Coletti has not had to prove, prove himself the same way that Luke Weirman has uh, playing his gauntlet. Uh, so anyway, though, that'll be a good matchup. That's going to be one to watch for sure. If Coletti can hang with Weirman or get the better of Weirman ever so slightly, and that could come in the form of splitting draws, but maybe putting up a point or two for Coletti. Uh, whoever wins at the faceoff dot obviously is going to give their team an edge, but I think it's going to be um, amplified a little bit in this game because of how well they match up defensively, offensively, and everything like that. I think that faceoff matchup is going to be huge. Uh, the edge and cage. That goes to Army, where Knox Dent, he stopped 54% of the shots he's faced. If we look at uh, this up here, uh, Dent, yeah, Knox Dent, 54% to Brian Ruppel's 50%. Again, Brian Ruppel, not the intended Maryland starter. That was supposed to be Logan McNaney. Uh, the, the Binghamton transfer, Teddy Dolan, did get time as the starter against Syracuse in his first game. Didn't play great, so Ruppel's owned the spot ever since then. So I give a slight edge to Maryland in that way. Uh, Rupel struggled lately. He's been below 50% in four of his last six games, and he's only stopped 36% of his shots uh, that he faced in the Big Ten loss finals loss to Michigan. So he's he's coming into the tournament limping with a terrible outing against Michigan, whereas Knox Dent is coming off a 64% performance against Loyola in his conference finals here. Uh, as I said, in terms of scoring, what I like about the Maryland offense now is that Braden Irksa, the freshman attackman, is finally starting to come into his own. 22 goals, 21 helpers, a true 50-50 threat. He's been the quarterback of this offense amongst a bunch of goal scorers like Daniel Kelly and Daniel Maltz. They've benefited from Irksa's improved play. And then you got guys like the veteran Kyle Long, uh, Jack Chorus has played well, Owen Murphy. But you see, they've got a lot of goal-scoring threats and not quite as many feeders. So they've kind of relied on Irksa, on Long to kind of generate that offense as dodging threats. And then guys like Whittier, uh, uh, Brennan have been a little bit more in, uh, integral in terms of getting dodges, being primary dodgers, moving the ball, banging the ball to other guys that can just finish well. And Reese Burke has been a huge surprise for Army, leading them uh, offensively. That He's the big reason offensively they didn't fall completely off the face of the planet Earth. Uh, defensively, I think they were a better team this year than last year. Knox Den has been great in cage, and Coletti has been a huge factor in terms of making sure that that offense have enough, has enough looks to put points up. But you can't say enough good things about Reese Burke and company as they've over they've overperformed to a degree. And you can see they're getting depth, quality depth in their scoring, similar to how Maryland has, which is why I think this game could be good because it really is. A, a, they really do match up and they, they mirror each other quite a bit in terms of they have really good defense 
Uh, both they're they're decent in cage. They both have killers at the faceoff dot. Offensively, they're not going to light anything on fire, but they can put up enough points to win a game when their defenses are clicking. So it could be a good matchup. Where I lean Maryland a little bit more heavily is in the fact that Maryland's just been far more battle tested, and and sometimes that plays out. In, in positive ways for the more battle-tested team come playoff time. So my prediction, Maryland by two to four goals. Um, I hope that's not an insult to Maryland because I don't want it to be. Maryland could win by seven or eight goals or, or Maryland could lose by two, but I think it's safe to assume that they'll win somewhere in the area, two to four, two to five goals. And that is all I have to say about that. Next game we have to talk about here is Michigan against Cornell. Uh, Cornell, the eight seed here. Everyone's been riding the Michigan hype train hard, including me to a degree here. Uh, but I see one issue with this game, and that's that Michigan's defense isn't very good. Their opponents score on 30.7% of their possessions. And then enter Cornell CJ Kirst. He's a goal scoring machine. It's going to, you know, require near automatic double teams to have any chance to quiet uh, CJ Kirst in this game. And then if they're able to even limit him in any manner, that's only going to come at the cost of leaving other guys open. And they have a good supporting role here um, with Billy Coyle, Aiden Blake, Michael Long's been injured a little bit, but Coyle and Blake have played really well offensively, especially Coyle. I can't say enough about what he's done stepping in and playing and uh, Long injured as long as Long is healthy. No pun intended there. Um, yeah, the, Cornell's offense is is very good. Um, if we look at a key for Michigan, it's going to be at the faceoff dot, where that two headed monster of Justin Wheatfield, Wheatfeld, and Nick Rowlett has just been incredible all season. I, like I said all season long, Wheatfeld he's got the number one faceoff percentage in the country. He's the number one rated guy in the country in terms of win percentage. He's been incredible at 66% here. Rowlett's the lower percentage, but it's been a really good one-two punch. The fact that they use them both so often has resulted in these guys, you know, teams just not being able to figure figure out the deal. And um yeah, so I, I just can't say enough good things about that two-headed monster there that Michigan has at the face-off dot. And Cornell hasn't been terrible at the face-off dot with Keskadden and Petrakis, uh, both getting draws. And actually, Petrakis was their starter, I think, the two previous years here. But uh, yeah, I don't think that they're ready to hang with Michigan. So I think that's going to be a huge key in this game. And if those guys can dominate the dot, that's going to put Cornell on their heels a little bit. Michigan's been as good as anyone offensively. So if those if that face-off game can translate into a possession disparity in their favor, they're number eight offensively uh, with 34.7% offensive efficiency uh, in uh, to Cornell's nine. So, I mean, these guys are neck and neck here, separated by only, what is it, four-tenths of a percentage point. I like the swagger that Michigan's going to be hitting the field in this one with. They've shared the ball well over their last few games. They're going to need to do a lot more of that, sharing the ball. Cornell may be a little bit susceptible to getting beat off ball specifically, um, but in the end, I still like Cornell's offense better because they have C.J. Hurst, and he's got that dog in him. The dude is just a relentless dodger, is going to go get his, and you're going to have to stop him, and teams have not been very successful at doing that so far this year. Um, the edge and cage, I think that goes to Cornell. Uh, Chase Erland, the veteran, I, I don't even think it's a question it goes to Cornell. Chase Erland, the veteran, he's actually uh, stopping 53% of his shots, and although his last three outings are nothing to write home about, he was 47% against Brown, 48 against Princeton, and only 24% against Yale, so it's another keeper kind of limping into the NCAA tournament. Still, He's better than Hunter Taylor, who's seen limited action this season and only just recently locked up what I presume is the starting gig over Shane Carr because of how he played in last weekend's game against Maryland. 
And then, like I said, we look at the scoring in terms of offense, why I think that uh, Cornell has the better shot of winning this game. CJ Kerr, 68 goals, 18 assists for 81 points with a 38% shooting percentage. Uh, but then you kind of look on the flip side here. Michael Bohm uh, uh, has been excellent too, 42 and 25 with a 49% shooting percentage. And then Josh Zuata has kind of, his game's evolved a little bit from being kind of a, a goal scoring freak. And he's been feeding the ball and dishing the rock a lot more here so far this season, especially as we look at the last couple of games, you see, he's been assist heavy all year long, but he gets into that tournament here or these last, the stretch of these last uh, five games, two and four, against Penn State, one and four against Ohio State, one and three against Ohio State, two and five against Penn State, and then four and six against Maryland. So Zawada's been getting it done, especially lately for this Michigan offense. They've needed that. Ryan Cohen has been excellent as well. But still, one team has CJ Kirst, the other team doesn't. So my prediction, Cornell by two or three goals. I think Cornell may, in fact, get absolutely roached at the faceoff dot, and that's going to play into this game being a little bit closer than it would be if that went 50-50. That's, that's my prediction. Uh, Gavin, and, and, and Adler can only shut down one of the guys here on the Michigan side. So yes, Cornell, I always talk about how Cornell's defense not that great this season, despite having Gavin Adler. I think Chase Erland playing well has played into their numbers being a little bit better, but I'm still not completely sold on the Cornell defense as a full unit, and that's the only thing that really scares me against this Michigan offense is if Michigan wins the faceoffs, Cornell's defense may not be able to withstand the uh, the onslaught that Michigan has been bringing here. Yep, so I said Cornell by two or three. Next game we are going to discuss here is Yale against the seventh-seeded Georgetown. Now, how this game plays out hinges on one thing. Which Georgetown offense is going to show up? So long as it's the offense that's racked up 12 wins straight, they're going to be good to go. They don't want it to be the offense here that lost these first three games. I don't think it will be, though. They've, they've been playing really well. Now, Yale, they're not too bad offensively either. They're ranked number seven with a 35% offensive efficiency to Georgetown's number 10. So these teams are neck and neck in terms of offensive efficiency. Uh, however, I think the Hoyas offense is loaded with veterans that are out for revenge, whereas Yale is still relying on some of the young guns to, to put up a bunch of their points here. I mean, granted, the young guns have just been, have been putting up points like gangbusters here. Lions, the sophomore, 58 and 12. Leo Johnson, the sophomore, 37 and 20. Uh, you know, then you get the, the KG veteran, Matt Brandau, who by all accounts has had a very down year for him personally, as he's been at 90. Like, you know, if we look at Brandau's career here, for those of you who don't know, I was calling Brandau the best lacrosse player in the country coming into the season. And I truly believe that I don't regret that take, but it has not played out that way for him this year. Uh, it doesn't have his, okay, we can look at his season stats here. He's at 65%, uh, or 65 points so far this year. If we dive back to the 2022 season, 99 points. If we go back to the 2020 season, uh, uh, that was the shortened season, and they don't actually have his numbers back further than that. But Brandau puts up a metric shit ton of points. He's at one. He's like one of the top two or three guys in every offensive st statistical category all time for Yale. Um, so that that the, their attack is going to be scary for Georgetown. Luckily for Georgetown, they have a defense that could potentially handle that attack, and then in cage. Uh, in cage, Danny Hinks has now kind of taken up the starting role 
and he's been a little bit better. Let me not get ahead of myself, though. I didn't want to talk about their their defense yet. Um, so between the offenses, they're really close. Tucker Dordovic, 57 goals, 13 helpers. Chris Lyons for Yale, 58 goals, 12 helpers. They both have 70 points coming into this game. Yale's got a bit more production from their top three guys, but Georgetown is loaded with graduate transfers. So you see 70, 65, 57 out of Yale's top three guys, and then the drop from there, 25, 2016, 11. They only have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys on their roster with double digit points at all. Whereas you look at Georgetown, huge drop from Dordovic down to Minicus, 70 to 47, but it's 47, 45, 38, 36, 24. They've got more guys, like three or three more guys over 10 points than what um, Yale has. So a lot more depth of scoring. And then the transfers, the graduate tra- transfers, the veterans are what's going to be important here. Brian Minicus, the Colgate transfer has been incredible. Jacob Kelly and Nikki Solomon, the Carolina transfers have both been really good. And then the, the stalwarts, as you would call them, Graham Bundy Jr., has been great. TJ Haley, De- Declan McDermott. That offensive group is definitely, I think, better than Yale's offensive group overall. Um, Georgetown, huge edge on the defensive side. The Hoyas are ranked 18th in defensive efficiency, and I think a lot of their problems have come uh, between the defensive midfield and in cage. They've had some questions, but the the pole strength is there. Um, So, yeah, Yale's defense is 44th. So it's 18th, the 18th ranked defense to the 44th. Uh, that's partly because Danny Hinks, 55%, has been better than Jared Paquette at 52%. Hinks struggled early in the season, and as, as Georgetown lost those first three games, he actually lost his starting role for a little while. He's finally gotten that back and has been playing a little bit better and uh, has looked almost as good as what I would have expected him to uh, because I thought he was going to be – I had him as a preseason All-American because I thought his move from – I think he was, what, Dartmouth – to Georgetown, I thought you take a good goalie and pluck a, you know, pluck him in the cage here with a, a plunk him or drop him in net with a good defense around him. I thought that was a recipe for a really good season. And defensively, they just didn't gel right away. But they're playing much better now. Uh, James Riley at the faceoff dot here for Georgetown. That's going to factor in this one. Uh, Yale hasn't been bad. Nicholas Ramsey and Rodriguez haven't been terrible at the dot, but James Riley. It's streaky so far this season, but 59% winning uh, draws, and he can put up points, so that could factor heavily in the outcome of this game as well. And in the end, my prediction, Georgetown by two or three goals. I do think this is going to be a good game, and I think this could be one of the better games uh, in the tournament, but it's supposed to be. That's why it's the eight seed, you know, playing pretty much what you could technically call. They don't seed the other teams, so Yale's not necessarily the ninth seed, but they try to keep that bracket integrity. So Yale probably would be like a 9, 10, 11 or something like that. So that's it's fair. All right. So I picked that one. Now, the, these are the games that I don't think will be as tight. And a lot of people are calling for this one to be a really tight game because they like how Bryant finished up their season. But let's remember, I, and I said this with Army as well, Bryant's 12 and four and they it's not a cupcake schedule, but I mean, come on, people. You know, they lost to Boston U in a close game. That's respectable, and that proves that they can play. Then they get waxed by Air Force. They lost to Vermont, not a terrible loss, and then they lost to Merrimack. So these teams are not the same here, whereas Hopkins has played a bunch of killers game in and game out, one of the toughest schedules in the country. Their strength of schedule is sixth in the nation compared to Bryant's which is ranked 48th in the nation. So I'm not one of those guys that's sitting here thinking this is going to necessarily be a great game. I think there's the potential that Hopkins could actually absolutely destroy Bryant. I think Bryant's only chance in this one ends up being Nathan Lillibert, Lilliberti. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I keep saying that over and over again. I really should have. You know what? Fuck it. 
Let's look it up here. Bryant, lacrosse, roster, 2023. You're watching me do this in real time, folks. We're going to see once and for all, how the fuck do I pronounce this dude's name here? Why didn't it come up? Is that not this season's roster? Oh, I spelt it wrong here. Oh, they don't have the... A lot of these teams now are putting the audio on here, and you can actually figure out how the hell to spell their name, but we're not going to get it in this one. So I digress, but I think that's going to be Bryant's only chance here. He's coming in at 60% at the dot. Jason Alexander's been a decent change of pace, whereas Hopkins, Tyler Dunn, 52%, not the same thing. But I say this again, Hopkins has had to play Maryland. Hopkins has played teams that have had some killers at the faceoff dot. Bryant, not as much here. So, I mean, is it a matter of Tyler Dunn could absolutely handle his business against Liberty? Yes, he could. But if Bryant can get the edge in possessions, I think that is their only chance. Only chance here. Um, and then if we're and then the reality here, and when I talk about battle tested, uh, Hopkins has the 14th best offense in the country and the 11th ranked defense in the country, and they did that while playing the sixth ranked schedule in the nation. So I mean, Bryant not even close. Their worst loss, uh, Hopkins' worst loss was to Loyola. Bryant's worst loss was to Merrimack, and that's just gross—a gross comparison right there. Um, so, like I said, I don't think this is going to be necessarily be a huge game. Uh, Tegan Alexander, could he just freak out one and, and stop 75% of the shots he's facing? Yes, but I even give the edge here to Tim Marcel, who's run the gauntlet this year for Hopkins and has faced a lot more adversity. Therefore, I think he's going to be a little bit better in cage. And then offensively, Bryant can put points up. There's no mistaking that. You look at the point totals here, 66 points out of Groeninger. Uh, Getz has put up 56 points. Johnny Hackett, 51. So they're getting a lot of depth here in the scoring. But once again, they're not doing it against top-tier teams like Hopkins is. So Angelus, Melendez, Degnan, Grimes, Collison, Peshko. I mean, those six alone, I think, are are better overall than what Bryant's putting up on the field, putting on the field, even though those guys have more points. So my prediction, Hopkins by five to eight goals, I think is a safe bet. Could Bryant play better than that? Yes. Do I think they will? Probably not. And I think Hopkins could even roll by more depending on how it plays out. All right. Now, these are the games that I don't think are going to be as good. Richmond, Virginia. Again, Richmond has a history of hanging with Virginia. But let's not forget that Virginia beat the ever-living shit out of Richmond already 25-8 to in early March. So I'm not thinking Richmond has improved that much that they have any real shot against Virginia here in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Xander Dixon's been absolutely incredible for Virginia. Their leading scorer was 74 points. Connor Schellenberger has been quiet on the point front. Oh, I think he's been battling a little bit of an injury. Hopefully he's getting healthy if that is the case at this point. Peyton Cormier, Thomas McConvey. I mean, these top four guys all should be All-Americans between being honorable mention and, and numbered All-Americans. I think McConvey will probably end up being a second-team All-American at midfield. If not first, you could argue that he's a first-team quality. Uh, I think Schellenberger will end up being a second-team All-American, probably Dixon a third, even though you could probably flip them in terms of performance. But let's not forget, Dixon probably doesn't have this number of points without Schellenberger being on the field to draw slides, draw attention, uh, and free him up. Dalton Young's had a great season here for Richmond, 69 points. Luke Graham, 44. So they're they're not bad offensively overall. Goalie situation, you know, both goalies are in the same level, except Matthew Nunes has definitely faced better competition than what Veek has faced for uh, Richmond. Faceoff dot, 
no doubt edge goes to Petey fucking Lasala here, uh, you know, finishing off his career. I think he's taken more faceoffs than any faceoff guy in division one, which he's the dude's just a fucking animal. And I love the kid. Uh, so yeah, I think Virginia is going to beat them by double digits here. I, I didn't even do a prediction, uh, on this one. I'm going to put my prediction in here. Prediction Virginia by eight plus is all I'm going to say. Uh, but I do think they're going to roll uh, Richmond in this one. And then we dump from this one, and we're going to hit up the Utah against Notre Dame. And this is another one. People are really excited about this, and people are all on up on the Utah hype train. Notre Dame played the sixth, sixth toughest schedule in the country compared to Utah's schedule uh, coming into this game is ranked 29th. So not as big of a disparity in terms of strength of schedule as some of the other games. Uh, Utah's offense is almost as highly ranked as Notre Dame's. I don't think these two teams are the same. Notre Dame, 6-2 and two against top 20 RPI teams. Utah, 0-3. So do I think Utah might impress and have some moments of flash where they look pretty decent offensively? Yes. Do I think that Notre Dame is going to fuck Utah up by the end of this game? Yes. My prediction, Notre Dame, 8-plus, could be worse, could be an absolute bloodbath. Utah hasn't faced anybody uh, as good as Notre Dame yet. Uh, if we look at the scoring here, uh, Jordan Hyde and Tyler Bradbury have been great, highlighting Utah's offense all year long. Hyde being the goal-scoring freak, Bradbury being more of that 50-50 type threat. Uh, but Pat Kavanaugh, Chris Kavanaugh, much better overall than those two guys. And then beyond that, you've got Eric Dobson, who will be a first-team uh, All-American midfielder, I believe. you got Jake Taylor, who's just got the beautiful hands on attack, has not been healthy all season long, but he's been back, and he's been great since he's been back. Goalie situation here, not great for Utah compared to All-American caliber goaltender and Liam Entman. I'm not as hot on Entman's season this year. I dumped him all the way down, I think, to an honorable mention All-American, if I'm going to be totally honest, which is going to incense fucking Notre Dame fans and even some lacrosse guys. But the kicker here, and what I looked at was, you look at what Entman has in front of him in terms of defensive midfield unit, in terms of close defenders, and, and he's still hanging a 56% save percentage up. Uh, I think his save percentage should be better. And if he was to be a first, second, or third team All-American in my mind, he had to be closer to that 60% mark. So I think even though he was one of the top, I think, eight guys in terms of save percentage, I'm not pleased with his performance considering the defense that he's had in front of him. And I think he's kind of benefited over the years from having that defense in front of him. An incredible goalie. Uh, I don't mean to try to make locker board or locker room material for anybody here. Not that he's going to fucking hear this anyway. So who cares and who cares what I say, but that's one reason I kind of bumped him down to my honorable mention goalkeeper. Uh, and I had a note Gian Forcaro and uh, Will Mark ahead of him, you know, uh, uh, yeah, Will Mark had one of the worst, one, one of the worst defenses in the country in terms of personnel in front of him. And he did what he did. Uh, Gian Forcaro has just helped turn Princeton season around, I think to a degree. And then you know, is just a killer in cage. The dude's just a brick wall here for UMass. So anyway, moral of the story, Utah's only hope is going to be Cole Bram's He's been great at the faceoff dot win in 59%. So could that keep things a little bit tighter? Maybe inside, you know, maybe around the eight. I think the only way that Utah stays within eight goals is if Cole Brams wins a metric shit ton of the faceoffs, but I think that's their only chance here. Uh, so I'm going with Notre Dame by eight plus, as I said. Duke, we this one's so new here. We don't even have the preview yet. 
on uh, on Inside Lacrosse because Delaware did in fact beat the ever living shit out of Maris last night, twenty five to ten by the end of it. I started watching it early and it was close after the first quarter, and then shit just got out of hand after that. Mike Robinson goes for seven and one, Ty Kurtz five and three, JP Ward four and three, all all good shit here for Delaware. The problem is going to be here that even though Delaware and company can put up a bunch of points, and last year Delaware upset Georgetown in the first round of the NCAA tournament, um, this is a different animal that they're going to face in Duke. Duke is good defensively. They've got two top-notch poles that they can put between Stevenson and Brower, and then they've even got Carpenter at LSM. They've got Jake Naso at the face-off dot. Duke does. Uh, I don't think I think that Duke's going to win the bulk of the possessions by a large margin. I think that Duke is going to get the better you know, not get the better of Delaware offensively. That's where this match, this matchup is going to be interesting is the Delaware high flying offense with the depth that they have, especially on attack against this Duke defense. But like I said, if there's a defense that's built that has two guys that can kind of start messing with and maybe taking these guys out of their game, it's the Duke defense with between Stevenson uh, and, uh, and Brower, the kicker here and why they beat Georgetown last year is Georgetown offensively was not humming on all cylinders. And, and even though Georgetown's defense was good, they, they didn't do bad against the Delaware team. What ended up causing that upset last year for Georgetown with Delaware beating them in the first round was Delaware offensively just outscored, um, or, or Georgetown offensively couldn't figure out Delaware's defense. I don't think Delaware's defense is quite as deep as they were a year ago, but I, you know, they're still capable, but I don't think they're quite as deep as they were a year ago. And I think that this Duke offense is a completely different animal over the um, uh, Georgetown offense last year against Delaware. So I, I don't think we're going to see like a darling moment here for Delaware and they're going to upset, you know, the number one ranked team in the country or the number, the number one seed in the tournament. I think that Delaware is going to get their dicks kicked in by Duke. And I think that once again, eight plus goals here, I think that Delaware's only chance is if Jake Naso doesn't dominate the dot, but I think Jake Naso's probably going to dominate the dot. So I don't think it's going to work out well for Delaware, and I think Duke's going to roll here. One other thing I wanted to do, I've been talking for about 37 minutes so far here, so I wanted to go a little bit deeper. Uh, Tanner over at Lacrosse Bucket did a cool thing that I liked, and he goes through and he talks about under you know things to watch in the tournament. But one thing I liked was he goes through the top bracket and the bottom bracket, and he says one player for each team that you need to know. So I just want to kind of go off hip, and I'm just going to read you what he thought were the guys from each team that you should know, and then I'll throw out a couple other names. But I thought this was a cool little piece that he put here into this uh, NCAA tournament preview that he's doing here. So uh, one player that you need to know from each team in the top bracket. This would be the bracket with Duke. Um, Brennan O'Neill, attack for Duke. Obviously, everybody knows who O'Neill is. Uh, per Tanner, O'Neill leads the Blue Devils with 80 points off 44 goals and 26 helpers. I mean, if you're going to sit here and say, hey, why is Duke going to win this game and probably win it by a margin? Brennan O'Neill is probably the reason why here. You could argue like Jake Naso, for people who aren't Duke fans, may not know how, how dominant Naso's been at, uh, at the faceoff dot. Not just winning draws, but then turning those draws into transition, into points. Will Stevenson, the defender for Duke, has had a great season, and he's played really well against some very good players. I believe Sam Handley, he had a, a good outing against Sam Handley. Kept him quiet. So lots of guys for Duke that these people should know. But... Brennan O'Neill, probably the most important. 
Uh, for Delaware, Owen Grant, the defender for Delaware, he leads the Delaware defense. You're not going to hear you hear all about uh, the the attackman for Delaware, Owen Grant, All American caliber defender. Uh, he leads the Delaware defense. Grant's been a massive impact. He's grabbed 54 ground balls, cost 36 turnovers, has scored seven goals and assisted on two others. So for sure, Owen Grant, one of the best defenders in the country. I believe he got drafted in the PLL draft and all that crap as well. CJ Kirst attack for Cornell. Now I think obviously some of these are obvious. Curse leads the Big Red with 82 points off 63 goals, 19 helpers. I think some other guys that are important, Gavin Adler, uh, another known factor on defense, one of the best defenders in the country, will be a first-team All-American. I think Chase Erlin and Cage has surprised and has had a really good season for Cornell and is one of the reasons I think that defense hasn't fallen off statistically quite as, bit as uh, quite as much as I thought they would. I didn't think they were going to be a great, de- great defense coming into the season because of what they had lost despite bringing back their goalkeeper and Adler. Um, but I think that Erlin's been important here. I think Michael Long's been in, uh, important. Coyle has been a key factor in boosting production offensively for Cornell. So cursed, definitely the big cap, but those other guys are important as well. Uh, Justin Wheatfeld for Michigan, faceoff guy. He leads the nation in faceoff win percentage as he's gone 130 for 197, 66% this season. And like we said, not only Wheatfeld, but also, um, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, uh, what's his nuts here? Uh, Wheatfeld's line mate, who I've already talked about ad nauseum here. Now I'm gonna have to go up the list here and freaking look it up. It's a uh, Wheatfeld and Rowlett. Oh my God, Nick Rowlett. Yeah, he got drafted in the PLL. Rowlett did, and I think he's gonna be playing with his brother. Uh, I think they've got two Rowlets now. I assume they're brothers. So uh, yeah, Wheatfeld and uh, Rowlett at the faceoff dot have been incredible for them. Uh, Bame has been huge in terms of becoming just a huge offensive threat and a true player pimp. That's important as well. Um, for Penn State, uh, Frassian, Jack Frassian in cage. Frassian ranks second in save percentage with 183 saves and a 57% save percentage this season. That is also true. Trainer. Uh, has also been big offensively for Penn State, but Frassian definitely has, has been imp- impressive and one of the reasons that Penn State defense has been able to be good enough to win them a bunch of games against quality opponents. Coulter Mackesy. This is funny. I believe what he was going to do here is say Coulter Mackesy attack Princeton, or maybe he was going to throw Gianfricaro in there at one point for Princeton, but he called Mackesy the goalie. Mackesy, the attackman, has emerged as Princeton's top scorer this season. 72 points off 49 goals, 23 helpers. I would not have assumed Mackesy was going to be their leading scorer. And and not only that, but one of the best attackmen in the country, hands down. Uh, so I didn't see that coming. That's been a great surprise for Princeton. Gianfricaro and Cage has also been a huge factor for Princeton and and uh, so that's that's a big deal. Brian Rupel, goalie for Maryland. Again, filling in for Logan McNaney, Brian Rupel has been. Uh, the freshman did not expect to get any playing time this year. He's been starting almost the entire year at this point with a 51% save percentage as a young goalie. Not too bad. Um, that, that Maryland defense, if he didn't at least come in and put up those numbers, that Maryland defense was going to fall drastically. So let's get Ajax Zapatello back in front of him. I know he had an upper body injury. I'm hoping he's going to be back. I haven't seen anything official for this upcoming game. But with him and with with Zapatello and Makar both on defense together, they're both they're good on ball and they're good off ball. Where I've noticed Maryland faltering a little bit the last couple of weeks without Zapatello has been off ball. So let's get Zapatello back to guard the team's best offensive player. Let's get Makar back in there orchestrating, anchoring, and talking the defense through their slide packages. And I like Brian Rupel and uh, and Maryland's defense overall. AJ Pilati, defense Army. Pilati's continued to be a top pole for Army. He had a killer freshman year, and now he's only a sophomore, putting up senior level numbers. Defense 
defense is a is a is a position that's usually dominated by upperclassmen. So for Pilati to, to step in and be this good, for Zapatello last year to step in and be as good as he's been, that, that's a big deal for these young defenders when they dominate like they do. 17 cost turnovers and 32 GBs as a sophomore for Pilati. Now we get to the other bracket and guys that we need to talk about. For Virginia on attack, Xander Dixon. Uh, Dixon's enjoyed a breakout season for the Cavaliers, leading them with 56 goals and 18 helpers for 74 points. Now, I said in my preseason breakdown of Virginia that my fear was that Dixon was never going to get the shot to play attack with Cormier and with Connor Schellenberger, and I thought that for Virginia to have the best shot at being a filthy offense, I thought that I felt like that required Dixon play attack, and I was afraid they were going to give that attack spot to maybe one of the younger guys, uh, Shuts, or um, I forget who the young kid who's kind of run midfield this year, uh, one of the best attackman recruits in the country. Um, so Dixon, the fact he's gotten to play attack and that he's proved me right and made me look really smart has been a great story. Let's not forget Cormier, who's kind of by, been by the wayside. He's been Virginia's second scoring threat here with, with uh, Schellenberger for the last two seasons. So let's not forget about him either. He's also been huge. Um, but yeah, Dixon has had an incredible season for Virginia so far this year. Dalton Young on attack for Richmond. I thought Richmond was going to fall off. It was a pleasant surprise to see them come back and then win their uh, their conference tournament despite not having you know as much success against the top-tier teams as they used to in terms of playing them close. Uh, Young has led uh, the Spiders with 69 points off 30 goals, 39 helpers. He's a big reason why they've succeeded. Tucker Dordovic attack Georgetown. The Syracuse grad transfer has been as advertised in a Hoyas uniform this season, leading the way for his team with 70 points off 57 goals and 13 assists. And while I've said all year the the the, the transfers has factor have factored heavily for Georgetown. I think the, the guys like Declan McDermott, uh um Haley, I think that they've been more important. Getting them integrated back integrated into the offense after just handing a lot of the offensive runs to graduate uh attackmen transfers. And then getting them involved, and they've been more involved lately, has been why this Georgetown offense went from being like, oh, we haven't quite figured it out yet, to humming along on all cylinders overall. Matt Brandau, attack for Yale, a veteran of that attack line. He's notched 64 points off 34 goals, 30 helpers. And like we said, Lions and, and Leo and all those guys, Leo Johnson, they've been incredible as well um, for, uh, for Yale. Jacob Angelis on attack for Hopkins. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't throw Russell Melendez on here. Um, and Angelus, 15 goals, 36 assists for 51 points as the quarterback of the Hopkins offense. His, everybody on the Hopkins offense, to a degree, has um, overachieved. I think the X factor here is going to be Collison, the freshman midfielder. I think he's going to factor heavily in this game, and I, I bet you he puts up like three or four points against the team because what's going to happen is Bryant in that first round, they're going to have to crash a lot on this attack, so I think that you're going to see the Hopkins midfielders maybe put up a bunch of points, maybe Degnan, um, not Degnan, um, uh, what's his nuts? Either way, screw me. I think that one of the X factors is going to be Collison now here. Uh, Nathan Lilliberti face off for Bryant. Like I said, he's he's the only shot Bryant has against Hopkins. I think personally, he's been good, ranked 14th nationally with the face off percentage. Pat Kavanaugh attacking Notre Dame. He's the obvious choice. Kavanaugh leads the Irish with 65 points off 20 goals and 45 helpers. I posit the guy that people are less liked, likely to know would be. Um, uh, let me go back here, though. I want to check something out for Notre Dame. Boom, boom, boom. We got to go to teams. Why? I hate these ads so badly here. This is the downtime that you people hate. Uh, let's see here. Okay, here we go. So 
Mid- Notre Dame's had like a long line of big, beastly middies that have been, you know, top-notch All-American talent here. And Eric Dobson, I think, is that guy this year. He's got 27. Uh, here, I can bring this over into your screen so you can see what I'm putting in here. Dobson, 27 goals off uh, – uh, 27 goals, 8 helpers, 35 points. He's been huge for this team. I think he's one of the X factors. Not always the greatest shooting percentage on earth, but the dude can absolutely light it up. But then if we kind of go down, Dobson was the guy last year as well. But let's get down into 2021. Um, this was the year Dobson was young. And so where is it going to be? It's not going to be the COVID year, is it? Brian Costabile. So Costabile was the kind of that big, beefy midfielder that could run downhill, rip shots from outside. Costabile had one of the best shots on the run that you've ever seen. I think Dobson's more in the vein of uh, what's his nuts? Um the big Russian bloke, Sergio Perkovic. I think Dobson's a little bit more like Sergio Perkovic in terms of his outside shot, uh, whereas I think that um, some of their other midfielders have been able to run downhill a little bit more. And I'm starting to ramble like a moron here. Uh, anyway, yeah, I like Dobson. I think he's the X factor here for Notre Dame uh, offensively in a name that everybody should know. And Jordan Hyde on attack for Utah, 49 goals, eight assists for 57 points. That sounds about right. Cole Brams is going to factor if they're going to have any chance of not getting their dicks kicked in. Cole Brams at the faceoff dot is going to have to play huge for Utah as well. So that is it, folks. Now, because I don't want to disappoint people, even though I haven't gone too deep into the D1, and the, I, haven't, I keep saying I'm going to talk about D2, D3 and everything in between, and I just haven't done it. And now I can't get inside lacrosse to freaking load. My internet sometimes gets a little spotty here. All right, so let's check out the D2 calendar. We've got no games scheduled here so far for D2 because they played. The, the D2 playoffs were pretty crazy yesterday. Tampa got beat by Len, Len, uh, Lenore Ryan. Len, I always forget how to pronounce it. Is it Lenoir Ryan? Lenoir Ryan? Uh, we had three one goal, or, yeah, four one goal games here. At the D2 level, Tampa lost uh, two two very good teams here overall. Just very spread out scoring out of both teams. I'm just trying to see who was the X factor in this win here. Rob Pensabine. Pensabine. Like I said, the D2 guys, your names are fucked up. That's why you play D2 lacrosse. Blame your parents. That's a joke, man. I'm not trying to shit on D2 lacrosse. I'm just trying to shit on your guys' last names for real. He ends up uh, playing well in cage here, stopping 63% of the shots. Let's see what happened on the faceoff dot. As expected, the uh, Lenoir Ryan got smoked at the faceoff dot and still ended up winning this game. Wingate against Indy, another one-goal game here. No crazy uh, uh, goal-scoring uh, crap here. Tristan Schaefer, he ends up with four goals for Indy. Goalie play was fairly even. Faceoffs were fairly fairly even. So just a hell of a job. That's just gutting it out for you, Indy. Adelphi beat Bentley again. Nothing crazy from a scoring perspective. Joseph Duknowski. What the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with you guys? Uh, goalkeeping play here. Dylan Renner factored heavily in Adelphi's win. And then let's see what happened at the faceoff dot. They they won despite a possession disparity here. Adelphi did, and then let's see what Saint Anselm did. I'm you know I'm gonna have to end up doing like an audio podcast only to cover these. I don't like to put too much up on YouTube because it'll f up my views and screw up going into the tournament. But yeah, we had another win here. Saint Anselm beat Mercy. Jack Andrews with seven goals in that one, so that was pretty bonkers. Goalie battle was it was a terrible day to be a goalie for both teams here. Faceoff battle was pretty even. Overall, actually, it looks like uh, Mercy won. So the odd thing that in in all these games, it seemed to be the team that won 
actually didn't get the better of the possession disparity and lost it. But that's it. I'm not even going to try to do the D3. I failed my D2 and D3 people all season long. Why change that now? What I might do is maybe do a little bit of D2, D3 talk, maybe on Saturday morning. Maybe I even live stream to do that. Let's see how that goes. But that's it. I'm out of here. I will be back on um, Monday. Sunday show, it will be Monday for sure because we've got uh, tournament games Saturday and Sunday, so the show will be released Monday morning. Uh, so come back Monday morning to watch the recap show. We will have highlights from every single game. I will deep dive into every single game at the D1 level. I'll try again to get into maybe a couple of uh, D3 games. What I didn't anticipate was even though there's fewer D1 games, I was going to want to cover every single one in depth. So that has been what's held me back here from doing some D2, D3 recaps. So maybe I'll pick one for each. Uh, so uh, all the normal, usual suspects that harass me about D2, D3, you pick the game, hit me up on Twitter or in the comments of this video, and I'll do those in my recaps on uh, Monday morning. So that's it. I am out of here. We see the brackets. I've already picked my bracket. I'll put like a a, a, a picture version up on Twitter, Instagram, uh, so people can see that just to make sure everyone knows what my picks are so you can chirp me. And then as always, go to laxfactor.com. You can watch our videos there. You can listen to the audio podcast there. You can get uh, podcast-related swag, T-shirts, all sorts of crap. Look, at we got a little doggy T-shirt, man. Lacrosse dog T-shirt. Look how cute that is. Why wouldn't you want to wear that? And uh, that's it. I'm going to shut up. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. Lax Factor. The Lax Factor Podcast.